Well, good morning to everyone. Um, missed you guys last week. It's good to be back. I think I um, see all familiar faces here, so I guess you all know who I am. But I just wanted you to know that uh, I always preach as if it's the last day of my life, and maybe your life as well. So I preach with passion, and I want to get God's truth out. God's word is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It goes deep inside of us and accomplishes its purpose. Today we're in the book of Judges. If I can remember, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. So I think it's the seventh book in the Bible. And seven is a good number, isn't it? Judges, chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 15. But as we're doing that, uh, I just wanted to ask you a question. Why does it seem like the world is going crazy today? Families are breaking up. There seems to be uh, gender identity issues. Schools are being shot up. Mass murders are taking place. And there's all of this immorality. There's lack of civility. It seems like it's overtaken our whole country. Wherever you go, there seems to be problems and difficulties. And, you know, black seems white and white seems black. There doesn't seem to be anything that's moving in the right direction today. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody's split. Everybody's divided. What's going on? What's, why is everything so crazy today in our society? You know, there's a leading news publication addresses our society's current moral problem. And here's what it says. I think it, it, it hits the nail right on the head. It says this, unfortunately, in recent years, it has become evident that many of the virtues and character qualities are being eroded by our current culture. Children are not being given the quality and time and attention they need to acquire vital social skills and internalized values. In addition, parents and educators realize that much of the music, much of the movies and television, interactive games and the internet children consume are generally not good reinforcers of proper moral values and manners. Taken together, the impact of these social forces is having a serious effect on our society. All of the national surveys have indicated that America has been inundated like never before with rudeness, crudeness, with bullying, with crime, with stealing, embezzling, murder, drug abuse, and marital infidelity. Teen pregnancy has increased over 500% in the past 30 years. And suicide among young people has jumped up 300% in that same period. 
And over a thousand teen girls get abortions every day, every day in our country. Over 4,000 kids a day catch a sexually transmitted disease. Now, all of these extensions are letting us know that we've lost our moral way. We've lost our compass. It's failed to instruct the younger generation in the ways of truth and in the ways of civility. How many of you have seen a relay race take place in the Olympics? You know how we have four people run around the track and they pass this little stick. They pass a baton on to the next person. You know, oftentimes people think that it's, you got the fastest four guys or four women on a team and you're going to win the race. But in actuality, it has to do with more of having a smooth, healthy kind of release of the baton to the next person that wins the race. We have to pass the baton on to the next person. And we need to do that in a very smooth kind of a way, carefully and smoothly. So it's not merely how fast the runners are, but how smoothly the baton exchange is. So my question to you this morning is, how well are you doing passing the baton, God's truth, to the next generation? How carefully and smoothly are we passing it so that we will not be disqualified? Because if you pass the baton in the wrong way in the Olympics, you will be disqualified. Family today, they may, families today may have a lot of really good glory stories that they can tell about their families and about their children, about the good times that they've had. But they can also tell you a lot of gory stories. We have a lot of glory stories. But they can tell you a lot of gory stories as well when a generation does not receive the proper training from the previous generation. So, this morning, I would like to address the subject of passing the baton on to the next generation. So my purpose today is to give practical instructions to parents and others who join in this task on how to pass on the baton, the baton of faith to the next generation so that they can win the race. So, today we're in the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, it took place around 1400 B.C. If you can remember now, Moses was on Mount Nemo because of some disobedience. And so Joshua takes them in to the promised land. Now they're in the promised land. And they're encountering all of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, all of the enemies that are there. But now, after all of these years, Joshua dies. And they pass on this to a new generation. And so we're looking to, when he dies, did they have a perfect baton exchange? A perfect exchange of truth? Well, I've got three points to help us to be good 
baton passers. First one is here, you need to sound the, the warning. You need to sound the warning. And so I want you to take a look at verses 8 to 12 in Judges chapter 2. Here's what it says. It said, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Tamnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. And then the sons of Israel, what did they do? They did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals, that is they served foreign gods and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and they bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. Hmm. Joshua died. That generation did not pass the truth on to the next generation and now they begin to follow the Baals. They begin to follow other gods. So the warning is this. We need to wake up people because the false gods are coming to eat the seeds of truth. And all it took, all it took was one generation. Somewhere between 30 and 50 years, depending on how you calculate a generation. And we see here in our text that the children of the last generation had already forgotten the great blessings of God. It had all gone, had all gone. You know, how quickly? Within one generation, they forgot. They forgot the exodus from Egypt. You know, they were in Egypt for about 500 years and God takes them out of Egypt, but they forgot all about that. The crossing of the sea on, on dry ground, they, they forgot that too. The miraculous provisions, the signs, and the wonders, and the great military victories, they all faded away as if they never existed because they were not passed on to the next generation. Friends, what happens? What happens to us today when we allow the truth to fade from one generation to the next? It's not long, it's not long before we encounter some kind of a crash. Are we surprised? Is anybody here surprised that all of this is happening today? Began way back in the late 50s, early 60s, all of this taking place. The Woodstock generation, all of relativism and subjectivism began to come in. And we did not pass the truth on to the next generation. Why should we be surprised when we see all of these things happening today? The truth is faded. Some years ago, many people died 
in a horrible train crash up in the Northeast. A train loaded with young people returning from school. It was stalled on the tracks. Now this train was stalled on the tracks and it couldn't move. It had some engine problems. But another train was heading in that direction. If this train didn't move, they were going to crash right into them. And so a flagman was sent back to warn the engineer in order to prevent a rare end collision. And suddenly the whistle of the oncoming train was heard and before anyone could react to the situation, the two trains collided with horrible effects and many people were hurt and many people died as a result of this. Now the engineer who was coming and he could see the train just before it hit, he was able to jump off and he was able to be saved. But later on they called him into court. They summoned him into court because they wanted to know what went wrong, what caused this calamity. And now there was a, a discrepancy in his testimony. He was asked, did you not see the flagman? Did you not see the flagman? He was warning you to stop. Did you not see him? He replied, he said, I saw him, but he had a yellow flag that he was kind of waving at me, and the yellow flag meant to slow down, didn't mean to stop, it meant to slow down. And so now they call the flagman up, and he said, they asked him, is that true? They summoned him to court too. Is that true? You put a, a yellow flag up instead of a red flag, that means stop. You put a yellow flag up, that means slow, slow down. Is that what you did? He said, no, I put a red flag up. The judge said, are you sure? Are you sure you put the red flag up? He said, yes, I am positive I put the red flag up. So both of the men insisted that they were right. So finally the judge said, well, why don't you bring me the flag so that I can see the flag? And so the man takes the flag and he shows it to the courtroom. And as he shows it to the courtroom, he begins to realize that it looks a dirty yellow. Why? Because it was weathered. Because of all the time, the red turned to a dirty yellow. And they did not change it. And so the engineer saw a dirty yellow flag lifted up instead of a red flag. A dirty yellow flag. And yes, friends, that is what happens when you allow truth to fade. You allow truth to fade from one generation to the next, and it's not long before you encounter a major crash in your life, in your family, and in our society as well. A faded flag, a faded truth. 
Now, friends, I'm here this morning to sound a warning to all of us. We better wake up. I wonder if you're listening. I wonder if anybody here really cares as much as I do about life and about change. If, if you do, I want to urge you, I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you to get mad. I want to exhort you to get angry. Remember Jesus? I, I try to live by these two principles, by the way. They're good principles. There's a time to turn the other cheek and there's a time to tip over tables. And by the way, Jesus used the whip there too. Do you know when to do that? Do you know when to turn the other cheek and when to turn over tables? Do you know when to be angry? Because the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. So there is a place for anger. I wonder if you're angry at what's taking place today in our society. I wonder if it bothers you to see kids get shot up in schools, all the protests, lack of civility, all the craziness that's going on. Does that bother you? Does it make you angry? Does it make you mad? Well, then you need to get up and you need to fight. You need to fight for what is right. Why? Because Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 tells us this. Here's what Paul said. He said, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul, what are you saying? You fought? You fought. Are we supposed to fight as Christians? Well, yeah, of course. Because it said we need to put on the full armor of God. That's battle, my friends. I don't know if you realize that. But the battle is not with flesh and blood. But it's against principalities. It's against powers of darkness. We are in a battle. Do you understand that? Are you mad? Mad enough to have some positive impact on the world that we live in today. Or is it business as usual? We just get up every day. We come to church. We sing some songs. We leave and we feel better. Maybe some of us will go out to a restaurant and have something to eat today. Well, that's not the world I live in. I counsel people every single week, multitudes of individuals, and I hear nothing but pain. I hear nothing but heartaches. I hear nothing but families breaking apart, people wanting to kill themselves, people cutting themselves, people wanting to commit suicide. That's what I hear every week. 1,400 counseling sessions a year. And it's not good. And these are Christians. Something's wrong. Something is desperately wrong. Paul said, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Even if the whole world, friends, comes undone, even if the whole world comes undone, can you say, can you say in your circle of influence, can you say this in your circle of influence, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. Can you say that? I've done all that God wanted me to do in passing on the baton, the baton, the good news of Jesus Christ to the next generation and to the people around me. You see, what we need to do is we need to sound, sound the warning. That's the first step. You want to reverse this? You want to give truth in the next generation? Well, the first step is sound the warning, friends. Speak up. 
Let the truth be known. Pass on the baton of truth. Pass on the baton of truth. Now, the second thing we need to do to maintain God's truth is this. You all need to be aware of the subtle trappings because I told you before, the battle is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. If you don't know about this, if you don't know about putting on the full armor of God, you'll be duped all the time. You'll be playing religious games, but you'll not be in the game. You see the difference? You're playing religious games, but you're not in the game. This is not reality. The people that come into my office is reality. Okay? They're all Christians. I had one person say to me, Pastor Jim, I had a wonderful time last week. I said, well, why is that? She said, well, I gave my testimony in the church. I said, you did. That's, that sounds wonderful. Can you tell me how you got saved? She said to me, I, I've always been a Christian. I said, oh, that's interesting. You've always been a Christian. And she could not articulate to me what it meant to be a Christian. But before this big, big church, she gives her testimony about what it means to be a Christian. And I'm waiting for her to tell me about Jesus died for my sins. I realized that I was a sinner. I repented and accepted him as Lord and Savior. But no, I didn't hear that. What I heard was I love the church. I love the small groups. I love the fellowship. And on and on she went. I said, well, that's interesting because Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hears me, I enter in and fellowship and sup with you. Now she wasn't getting all this, so I stood up and I went to the door. I say, there's a knock on the door here, but there's no handle on the other side. What do you think we should do then if we hear the knock? She said, well, well I guess we'd have to open the door. I'm right. So I opened the door. I said, hey, what do you know? It's Jesus Christ. He wants to come in. I said, Jesus, come in. Why don't you sit right next to this woman right here? I said, what do you think the next step is that you need to do if you wanted to be saved? She said, well, I need to talk with him and ask him into my life. Right, you got it. I, mean, I don't know what kind of testimony you gave at your church, but this is what you need to be doing. So, <laughs> after she gave her testimony at the church, I led her to Christ in my office. Hey, do you understand what's going on? Do you understand the battles that are taking place? Do you understand how, how subtle these things are? Yeah, she was talking about feeling good in the church, coming in. She loved the music. She loved the fellowship. She loved the family atmosphere. She loved the small groups. She loved all of that, but she didn't know how to get saved. But she thought she was saved all of her life. And before 500 people, she gives a testimony about being saved. Hmm. Beware of the subtle trappings, my friends. And look what happened to the following generation when their moms and their dads failed to pass on the baton to them. I want you to take a look in the scriptures. Just take a look at, at, at Judges chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through 13. Here's what happens when you don't pass the baton of truth on. Here's what it says. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, that is, they served foreign gods, and they forsook the Lord 
the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and then they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they bowed themselves down to them. Thus, they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and they served Baal and Ashtoreth. These are foreign gods. And they pushed aside the true living God. Hmm. We need to beware the subtle trappings, my friends. Do you know, by the way, do you know what happens every time mankind pushes God's truth and the Bible aside? Any idea? Well, you see, what we do all the time is we replace that with other gods. Why? Because we were created to worship. So everybody in this whole world, they're worshiping something. So every person who comes in to me and they come in for counseling, the first thing I do is I check out their ideology. What is it that you believe in? And I start from there to break this down, to bring them through to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because they have other ideologies because we were born to worship. Everybody wants to worship something or somebody. That's why it's so easily easy to trap people into cults. Our DNA is programmed to worship. We instinctively bow to other things. We create gods of our own making. Just talk to the people who have pushed God aside. There's so many people that come into my office that push God aside. And in God's place, they have created gods of their own making. For example, many of our young people today, they've turned from God. We don't see many young people here today. Should be filled with young people here today seeking after God. We don't see any today. Why is that? They replaced him. They replaced him. They're out with their peer groups now. They got rock stars that they follow. They have all these TV personalities, media devices. They've got sex. They've got drugs. They've got rock and roll and a host of other idols that consume most of their time and energy. There's a holistic approach to life today. They are involved in this new age religion. It's tied to Eastern mysticism. They don't know that. Sounds good. And because all these other religions have a work component to it, they think they're doing good. Christianity is the only one, by the way, in which God came down and did the work for us. But all the other ones have works components to it. And so, people like that. Hey, we're doing good works today. We're bringing food to the hungry. We're out on the street corners and we're trying to help people. Yeah, but you're in a cult. And when you die, you're going to hell because you don't have Jesus Christ in your life because you're trying to work your way to heaven instead of letting Jesus Christ do the work for you. You get how that works? There's all these subtle trappings. When a person turns from the living God of the Bible, they always, always replace him with another God of their own making. And you can bet there will be consequences now and in eternity. 
I want you to listen who, to these consequences the Israelites faced because they turned from the living God of the Bible to idols. I want you to hear the consequences. So take a look at verses 13 to 15. It says, They forsook the Lord, and they served Baal and Astoreth, that is, these foreign gods. Look, then the anger, see the anger? The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them. So they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord has spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so they were severely, severely distressed. Not the abundant life that Jesus came to give to us, but they were severely distressed. That the way you want to live your life? You want to walk around, come into church, you leave here today, but you're severely distressed. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more Abundantly Push God out of the way, you won't have abundant life. You'll be distressed. There'll be anger. There'll be brokenness. There'll be guilt. There'll be shame. There'll be a whole bunch of things taking its place. But you will not experience the true joy that Christ has come to give to you. So beware of the subtle trappings that lure us in when we turn from the living God. Here's the points to consider here. You know, because they're subtle trappings, they're not all bad. Sometimes the devil can use good, right? Sometimes the enemy of the best becomes the good. You've heard me say that many times. And so something's good in your life, okay? But any strength pushed to an extreme can become a weakness, right? If we're not following the best things, we're following a lot of good things. Any strength, push an extreme, can become a weakness. So not all the things that these young kids and young people and others who push God aside are all wrong. They're just not the best things. There might be a lot of good things, but they're not the best things. So we need to beware of the subtle trappings in order to have a perfect baton exchange. Lastly, lastly, our third point here is we need to expose them to truth. Now look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. They became ignorant. They didn't have the truth. They became ignorant of the things of God. The truth was now missing. God and his word no longer were their standard. Look at verse 17. And yet, they did not listen to their judges, these leaders that God rose up for them. They didn't listen to the judges. They played the harlot. They went after other gods. They bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers had done. 
You see, they no longer obeyed God's commandments. They no longer followed God. They followed their inner desires. They followed the world. They followed the flesh. And they followed the devil. They turned from the true God to worship idols. They created gods of their own making. So, we might ask ourselves now, what are some of the steps that we can take to stop this? In our families, in our sphere of influence around the people that we come in contact with, what do we need to be doing? Well, parents, somebody once said, don't worry that your children listen to you. Worry more so that they're always watching you. Don't be concerned that they're listening to you. Be concerned that they're watching you in everything that you are doing. So you need to be biblical and you need to be consistent. You can be biblical, but if you're not consistent, that's called hypocrisy. That's the first thing. Second thing is talk to them about the music, the TV shows, everything. When I was raising my children, we talked about everything. I remember one time, I walk into the room and I'm talking to my kids. They're not paying attention because they have their television on. And I get a little upset about that because I'm trying to make a point with them. And so I walk over to the television set. Let's say this is a television set. And I walk there and I said, hello. I'm shutting the television off for a second because you see, kids, this is a machine. I'm a human being. You get that? Erica and Janine, that's their names. I said to them, Erica, Janine, I'm a human being, this is a machine. You are paying more attention to the machine than a human being who happens to be your father. So we have a problem here. And I won't put this on until we have a little conversation. And so I talk to them about this all the time, the things that they watch, the things that are going on. But you know there's something else that goes along with this? Uh, I, know, I know we don't want to hear this, folks. But I had to, and my wife had to live by the same standards. So I couldn't tell them not to watch this program, and then I would watch the program, my wife would watch the program. I had to live, we had to live a consistent Christian life in everything that we did, you see? Because it's not so much what they're listening, it's so much what they're watching, and there's a big difference there. So you have to set an example. Talk to them about the, the music, talk to them about the TV shows, Talk to them about the subtle things that are taking place. You see things all the time on television. They have all kinds of things about Hinduism and people sitting there with their hands like this, their feet crossed and all of that. All they're trying to do is they're trying to get the words into your head. They're trying to get images into your head so they can bring an Eastern mysticism into our country today. They do it through yoga. They do it through exercise. It's subtle, friends. And unless you're attuned to the Word of God, unless you're attuned to the fact that the devil doesn't always come through the front door, he comes through the back door, through the side door, through the chimney, through the window. You understand? Unless you know that, you'll be duped all the time. Even though you come to church, you might read your Bible, all of that stuff. But the subtleties that you need to know that's taking place right before your eyes. Right before your eyes. And the other things too, when you talk to your kids, mean what you say and say what you mean. I have people come in and all the time, my kid's out of control. Is that right? Do you believe in disciplining your children? Yes, I do. I discipline my children. You do. You do. Let's talk about that. So then I hear them talking about disciplining their children. The problem with this is, is they do it one out of every five times. 
So I guess in their mind, they're justified that, yeah, I discipline my children. But see, unless you have consistency, that breeds hypocrisy because your kids get even more angrier because you're not always disciplining them. You're doing it once in a while. And now your kids are wondering, well, wait a minute now. One time you disciplined me, five times you let me go with this. I know my parents, when I was younger, I was 14, 15 years old. I hated that because my mother and father were inconsistent. I wrote, I think I still have this letter, how much I hate my mother and father because of their hypocrisy when I was 14 years old. That's how I entitled it. How I hate my mother and father. I hated them for hypocrisy because they said one thing and they did another. We have a whole angry generation today because mothers and fathers say one thing but they do another and they're not consistent in the way they live their lives. So, be sure to expose them to God too. You know, let them know that we have a church, Sunday school, body life, which is a central component to your family life. Encourage them to read the Bible, encourage them to pray and be sure to let them see you doing this as well, okay? And these are a few of the things uh, we can do as parents in order to have a perfect baton exchange. You need to do these three things. You need to sound a warning, like in a megaphone. Hello, we're moving in the wrong direction. The truth needs to come forth, not the television set, not the media. Not all these social gadgets that we have, but the truth needs to prevail. That's number one. Beware then on number two of the subtle trappings because the devil never comes in the front door. He comes in in a disguise all the time. And if you have the truth, you'll understand that. So I tell people all the time, do you know how to identify a counterfeit bill if you saw one? Well, the only way you can do that is if you know what a real one looks like. If you don't know what a real one looks like, you can identify a counterfeit bill. Well, know the truth, friends. That's the second thing. And lastly, expose your children to the truth. Expose them to the truth. Not all the false things that they're hearing on a daily basis over and over and over again. Be like Paul. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said, Look, I fought. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have passed the baton on safely and smoothly to the next generation. <laughs> That's our battle cry. I know it's not easy. And you can't do this apart from God. He needs to give you grace to help in time of need. But this is the only way out. There is no other way. There's no programs. There's no politics. There's no money. There's no stuff that you can throw at this to turn this around. There's only Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Who says, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, if Jesus is the only one that can give you rest, what's all this other stuff going to do? Well, it may compliment you, but it'll never give you rest. That Jesus is the way and the truth. And we need to fight the good fight, friends. And by the way, don't be overwhelmed by all the stuff that you see in the media and all of that. Because your job is, your job, my job is to be effective in your sphere of influence. Only the people that come into my office, the people that I have influence over, 
I'm successful in doing that. So if one person leaves my office and they got the truth, the light bulb comes on, I'm successful. And that's the way you have to look at it as well. Don't look at the world. Don't look at our society and say, wow, what a mess everybody's in. Just look at the person before you that you can influence. And it's one person at a time. Because the Bible said, be faithful in the small things. I'll give you greater things. So be faithful to the small things that God gives to you. And then you're successful. You're not successful because you think the whole society has to change. You're successful if you change one person. That's your success. One person at a time. Makes it more manageable. Makes sense. Gives you peace. Rather than look at the whole world and say, wow, never be able to do all of this. Well, you're not called to do all of that. You're called to do this. Preach to the people that are before you that God gives you. Pass that baton on to them. Be bold. Be courageous. Fight the good fight right to the end. Right to the end. Okay? Take that out with you today. Father in heaven, I, I just want to thank you, Lord. You've done all the work for us. We don't have to do any work. You went up on the cross. You died for us, Jesus. And all of our sins are forgiven because of what you've done. It's a great, great message. It's so great that people don't even believe it. People think they have to do a lot of works, a lot of things. And uh, it's really complicated for them, but it's really simple. It's so simple that it seems complicated. So we have a simple message that Christ has come to this earth to die for us. And I just pray that each and every one of us can go out. Instead of cursing the darkness, we light some candles by sharing about the good news of Jesus. If they listen, that's fine. If they don't, wipe the dust off your feet and move on because there's somebody else waiting to hear the truth. Amen.